0: Well, good to see everyone tonight. We're glad you're here. We mentioned that uh, next Sunday night, the 8th, uh, Bob Sargo will be here. Uh, we're inviting the morning people to come, get in on that. We've invited Pastor Russell to bring in his people as well. And, uh, But it's just as true the other way. Uh, Sunday morning, I'm going to be teaching a vision the Lord gave me called the new man, but I believe the new man looks like, and uh, uh, it's a one-time thing that I'm going to be sharing. If you want to come in the morning meeting and catch that and then come back for the evening meeting, you're welcome to do it uh, that way as well, so feel free to do that. One morning, uh, I woke up and, and uh, was feeling discouraged feeling a little beat up. Uh, Someone had taken some chunks out of me. They had strongly criticized me and said some harsh things and felt like I was hurting. And uh, the only way I know to deal with that is to turn to the Lord. And so early in the morning, I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm hurting. And he spoke to me right away, and I wasn't expecting that. I, I just wanted to express that to him, and I wasn't expecting what he said. But as you walk with Jesus, and then you read in the New Testament, you see the way he related to people. He often asked questions, and so that morning he asked me a question that I wasn't expecting. I said, "Lord, I'm hurting," and he immediately said to my heart, "Which part of you is hurting?" And it made me laugh because sticks and stones don't break my bones. So physically, I wasn't hurting. And I and I thought about it for a minute, and I realized I'd woke up early that morning, you know, that you're in that f- period of time when you're just coming around, and uh, I had a song in my heart. I, I love it when I wake up and my heart is singing. My head realizes there's a a song from church or a melody that's going around in my heart and I wake up to that. And I and I said, I said, well my spirit's in good shape. There's nothing wrong with my spirit. It's singing. And then I looked a little closer. And I looked inside of me and I saw my old man, my fallen nature, and he was all all bent out of shape and he was angry and wanting vengeance and he was embarrassed and so he wanted to embarrass him back and his pride was out of Out of joint, and I saw the part of me that was hurt was my flesh. And when I looked at him, I realized what part of me was hurt. I said, Die, you beggar. Die. You know, there's no counseling for him, there's no pill, there's no medicine, there's no treatment. Nothing can solve your flesh. You have to deny him, you have to say no to him. He has to die moment by moment, decision by decision. But it helped me to realize that I'm a three-part being. I'm a trinity. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, God said, Let us make man in our image. It's plural. God is a trinity. God actually has a body. He is a spirit. Jesus said, The Father is a spirit. Seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth on that heart level. He has a body. He has a soul. Job mentioned something about the soul of God. Yet he's, he's a spirit. I'm, I'm built just in the same way that God is built. I'm a three-part being. I'm a spirit in this body looking out through these eyes at you, speaking through these lips. I'm a spirit. I'm an eternal being. I came from God. I, I came from the breath of God. I have a soul which is so integrated with my spirit. It's so one with my spirit, but it's a distinct part of me. It's so one that in Hebrews chapter 4 it says that only the word of God, it's, it's so sharp, it can discern, it can divide between soul and spirit. And I have flesh, and in this flesh is a personality. It's an angry, an angry man that wants his own way. An angry man that... that uh, is prideful is pride gets hurt all the time so easy i've spent a past couple of weeks teaching teaching quite a bit about that old man i'm not going to spend that much time tonight on him but i'm a spirit and and there's a there's a gap between my spirit and my soul my my soul is my mind my will and my emotions and of course uh, my flesh has a will my flesh has emotions to some extent and and has its own mind wants its own way wants to do its own thing my spirit also has a will and has a desire. My spirit longs for God, longs for the things of God. My spirit came from God. I crave him. I, there's a part of me that I love his ways. I love his word. I love everything about him. But there's a, a conflict between my spirit and my flesh, and it happens, it plays out in my soul. Sometimes I get exhausted watching those two fight. They both want their way. They both want my will. My flesh wants my will. He wants to be in charge. He wants to run my life, and if, and he has before. He's had full run of my life, and he wrecked it. He brought it to corruption. He brought it to ruin. He brought it to a place where I was just ashamed and embarrassed. When I let him drive, he takes me to the wrong places. My spirit, on the other hand, is born again, and God's spirit lives in my spirit, he needs to have the ascent. He needs to be the one in charge. He needs to be the one who I submit my will to, and I I allow him to have his way. Because if I follow him, he'll lead me in a true way, in a good way, a godly way. His name is Conscience that's the voice of my spirit and any time i go with my conscience it leads me to freedom it leads me to to life my soul my soul is able to somehow to see both of these entities at war with each other there's a war in my soul i've spent the past couple of weeks talking about that When God came down in the garden, he came down to have fellowship with Adam, and and, uh, he wanted heart-to-heart fellowship, and there's something that's happened today, and I see it all the time, I see it at every turn, where there's people who are trying to relate to God in their heads, and it's a a mental experience, it's a a mental ascent, a mental understanding of, of trying to understand spiritual things. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You won't be able to figure it, him out. In fact, you can have experiences in your spirit that your soul, your mind can't figure out, can't understand. Paul wrote to the Philippians in in uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and he says, "...there's a peace of God that surpasses understanding." In other words, you can be going through something and experience this peace that doesn't make sense and that you can't generate with your own ideas. It's something that happens here that you can't understand here. Let me give you another example. Someone said one time, they said, I wouldn't trade my joy for all the happiness in the world. It's possible to have joy that's different than happiness in your head. It's possible to have a joy. You're going through something that's difficult, that's disconcerting and confusing and challenging, and yet you look inside and in your spirit it's unruffled. There's a joy there, a solid chunk of joy. You can experience that at a heart level and your head can't understand it. These two things can be at odds with each other at times. My point in this message today is that we need to give our spirit consent to be in charge of our lives, and we need to yield to that and and cultivate that at the expense of our flesh who wants to drive, who wants to run our life, who wants to do it, and at the expense, to some extent, to our soul. Our soul is useful in the process. Our soul is part of the process, but he's not everything. There's a... Uh, you can cultivate logic and you can cultivate um mental stimulation and you want mental stimulation and you can cultivate that to the expense of your spirit. Let me give you an example of that. I was working in the in the Ukraine. this was right after communism had fallen. We'd gotten in very early. It was rough, extremely rough. I saw poverty there that I hadn't seen in India or anywhere else. It was a really challenging place to be. And, and I would go there as part of a team that would travel and we'd go from church to church doing Bible school. And we got to one church one winter night and uh, went in the old building and it was freezing cold. It was like a meat locker and, and uh, no heat except for one little pipe they went around where the elders sat at the top of the ch- at the back of the church a little heating pipe for them, part way up it wasn't even radiating hardly anything at all and for for pews, they had benches made out of wood with no backs on them and as I went outside waiting for the people to come, all of a sudden this big old truck I don't know if it was a cattle truck or a logging truck, but a big open back truck came around the corner, careening around the corner, and the people are jostling up and back and forth in the truck. And the truck came to this halt, and this driver got out, and people started jumping out of the back of the truck, and he's helping them down. Little old ladies jumping down out of the back of this truck. Kids, all ages of people jumping out of the back. I'd never seen anything like that before. There's no cover on the truck. There's just these sidewalls and it's freezing cold, dead of winter. And another truck came, and more people were being offloaded. Another truck came, and I asked somebody, I said, how far are they coming from? And they said, they're, they're traveling about 25 kilometers. I thought, would people back home travel in the, in the night in the freezing cold in the back of a truck to get to church? I mean, it was a shock. I'd never seen that kind of spiritual hunger before. And of course, they all went into the church and they sat down in their backless pews. I don't know how long you've ever sat on a backless pew, but it's hard to do. Aren't you grateful for the chairs that Nelson picked out for us? I mean, he really did. He did, yes. He was looking for chairs that would make you comfortable. But these people had backless pews and the little kids would would tuck in between the adults and not move for hours. Their little boots just hanging, hanging down above the floor. And everyone's got their scarves on. And I look down at these faces that are wide open and these charcoal eyes and they're looking up at you and they're, they're eager to hear. They've never seen an American before and they're, they're wanting Bible teaching. And someone sang an old plaintive hymn. And then someone else read some poetry, and then they all slipped down, that one accord, they all slid off their pews onto their knees, and for the next 20 minutes, we kneeled on an old plank floor, praying. And then someone would uh, recite the Lord's Prayer, and they'd all join in, and that would break it off, and... Then they maybe sing another song or so, and then one of the elders would get up and read a scripture, maybe make a few comments, and then they turn to me and they'd say, Brother Pen, Brother Pen, preach. And so I'd get up with my translator, and I, I'd give them everything I had, and I'd preach to them, minister to them, call them up forward, lay hands on them, pray for them. God would move and touch them. People were healed, and all kinds of good things were happening. And then I went and I sat down, and they sang another song, and they They prayed a little bit more. Then someone turned to me and they said, Brother Penn, would you preach again? (laughs) So I got up and I preached again. And I ministered to them, called them forward, laid hands on them, prayed for them. And then I sat down and they prayed. and, And someone turned to me and they said, Brother Penn, would you preach again? That's never happened one time in this church. But it happened that night and it impacted me because what I saw were people who were able to put aside their flesh and put aside their soul. The breath in that place, people breathing, caused the windows to glaze over with ice inside the building. We spent hours and hours that night. Then they would get back in the cattle truck or the logging truck and make their way back to their sturdy little homes. And it shocked me to, to realize I, I don't think I'd seen spiritual hunger before at that level where it didn't matter what their soul said or wanted. Or it didn't matter what their flesh said. Their spirits wanted the word of God. Their spirits wanted teaching. Their spirits were hungry for more. I It, it struck me that that's, that's really the ideals. It, God uses our soul. Our soul is, is God-given. It's created by God. It's part of God. He has a soul. Our soul loves color. Our soul loves light. Our soul loves warmth and, and comfort. There's even soul food that feels good when you're not feeling, when you're, when you're going through a difficult time. There's soul food that just makes you feel good. But that came from God but that's not it. And it's possible to become soulish Christians where we live at a level where it's got to be comfortable. we got to like the song. we got to like the ambiance of the places, everything. We've all been to churches where it's the stained glass. It's the, it's the aesthetics. It's the paint color. It's, it's the right pew. It's, it's the right carpet color. It's all those kinds of things. And then that's it. They go there and they, they, they experience that. Then they go home and there's still spiritual hunger. Hunger. They're still starving. They still go to the psychic to try to get some kind of spiritual connection. They're still looking for something, something to touch them spiritually in a drug or an al- extreme use of alcohol or something like this. And it happens all the time. They've actually been s- stoked or stimulated at a soulish level but not touched at a spiritual level. And that can happen to this church. I'm grateful for the building. I love this building. I feel so good about what God has done and what Jolene has done, the aesthetics and the comfortable pews. I'm grateful for that. I feel that's, that's, that's wonderful, except it's not the end. It's an avenue so that maybe you would forget about you and you'd, it, something could happen by God that would trip your heart and open your spirit to him, and you'd receive something from him during the time of worship or during the time of prayer or during the time of, of where the word is being delivered your heart would grow and your heart would be fed. And it can't be just in this building at this time in these meetings. It has to be every day where you put aside your flesh and what it demands. You say, you're not in charge of me. And you put aside your soul and you say, yes, it may seem boring and it may seem old-fashioned. And it may, may seem irrelevant, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk. I'm going to spend time with the Lord because I'm spiritually hungry. I, I need a spiritual connection with God to feel satisfied. If I don't have that, I'm not complete. I'm not whole. See, it's possible to cultivate soulish Christians that if it doesn't feel good to their soul, if they don't like the sound of the music and if the aesthetics aren't just quite right, they'll go to another place to to get that fulfilled. It's possible to create a carnal church where people are there for themselves and just to get their getters. It's like the Corinthians. Paul said, you're carnal. I can't even treat you as spiritual. You come to the communion table and all you do is gobble everything up and there's people waiting in line behind you and you just consume everything. You don't care about anyone else but you. He said, you're carnal. You're carnally minded. That, it doesn't mean just mental. It means that you're inclined. you're inclined to me first, me and mine. It's all about I. And it's possible to uh, you've met them, you don't like them, but we don't want you to become like them. It's possible to, be, possible to be a carnal Christian. Or it's possible to say I don't I don't care how it feels. I don't care what it's like. I'm I'm here to connect spirit to spirit with my Father in heaven that I'm created he's looking for something in me where its spirit the spirit god's longing for this are you are you looking for this we can't stop at the soulish level we've got to go deeper the soul is simply a gateway it's simply a gateway we trip that with some things. Uh, I, I mean, it's possible, you know, you get to a meeting and you say, well, there was some humor there. There were some, uh, the, my friends were there, and, and it, there was the right temperature, and I liked the songs, and they had a meal after. And so all those things are, are being stoked, and being stimulated. But you can actually leave the place, and nothing has touched your spirit. Nothing has fed you at a heart level. That would be a shame. That, that, that's That can't be. Somebody has to decide who's going to be in charge of your life. And the only person who could do that is your spirit. Your spirit has to take the ascent. Your spirit has to say, no, I'm in charge here. I'm going for God. I'm going into this thing. I'm I'm going to trust him to speak to me. I'm going to trust him to look to me. We need to let your spirit run every aspect of your life. But it's possible that the other entities, they can also have their way. They're also fighting for your will. You have to discern yourself. You have to step back and say, which part of me is operating here? Which part of me is speaking? Which part of me is demanding his way? Because your flesh is very clever and he can actually, uh, for example, there are people who get angry and they call it righteous indignation. And they even find a Bible verse to justify their anger. But the fact is they're just being angry out of their old man, out of their own flesh. And they can spiritualize it and say, well, I think we should live this way and we should have this kind of standard and this kind of morality, and they can justify it. But it's really they're just being carnal. But there is an anger that happens in your spirit. Jesus demonstrated that. So we have to be able to discern which part of us is operating. One man got so angry with the pastor, he came in, he chewed him out, went up one side, down the other. He'd gone into a closet, and he found three brooms, three new brooms, and he was livid. And he went to the pastor, he said, we don't need three brooms. Someone wasted money on three brooms. This is wrong. And he went up one side of that pastor, down the other, just chewed him out in front of one of the young associate pastors. And then he slammed the door, and he left the pastor just stood there, and the young guy said, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe it. he'd just be so angry about that. And, he, and you just stood there and you just let him do it. And he says, Well, he's, I understand. He's put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel if all the money you've ever given to church was spent on brooms? You got to step back and say where's that anger coming from not just in church it could be in your own marriage it could be in your own home we can operate between our soul or spirit and our flesh so seamlessly so quickly we need to step back and say okay now what part of me is what part of me is stirred up here you could even you could even go after someone in lust and call it love and and be operating completely out of your flesh, and, and, and because there's emotions involved, you think it's God. You can be led by your flesh to make purchases. You can be led by your flesh in choosing jobs, and you can be led by your soul because, oh, that would be stimulating. The voice of our spirit is called conscience, and if we learn to cultivate that, he will actually lead us. Your conscience, your conscience, because of what God has done inside of you, is a profound guidance tool. We need to cultivate the, uh, the voice of our conscience and learn how to obey and learn how to re- respond because he'll always lead you in a true way. He'll always lead you in the right way. We need to cultivate that. With, with, uh, with women, it used to be said, you don't hear this very often, maybe this will be a new thought for you, but with women, they used to say, well, there's a thing called uh, woman's intuition, where the, where the wife would just say, I know, I know something's going to happen, or I know this is, this is the way this is. It was almost like they had a, a special discernment that just seemed to be the women had it to a, a greater degree than men, and they called it woman's intuition. And it really isn't women's intuition. It's their spirit is, is been cultivated. It's been, they, they've spent all day at home and they've been singing and, and listening to worship music and they've had time to pray and, and they've done, yes, they've done work and they've done other things, but they've, it's been quiet. And something happens where their spirit comes to the foreground and your spirit knows things that your head can't understand. Your spirit could even pick up stuff that's about to happen. Or your spirit can pick up things in terms of discernment that your head can't figure out, and it just seemed like our wives had a had a kind of a lifestyle at one time. It's it's changing. I recognize that, but it used to be that they had more time alone, more time quiet, more time just just having their 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 house to manage, and they could be more sensitive. The man, there's he's he's dealing with all these crazy things and ideas and opinions and personalities and. And, and he just gets home and he just wants to flop down in, a, in, a, in an old lazy boy chair. And he, his sensitivity's just not there. It's possible to cultivate a sensitivity in your spirit that allow, allow you to make decisions and find direction and be able to discern things and understand things spiritually that your head can't figure out. I think it begins with with just shutting things down, shutting down, turning things off, turning out all the noise, all the volume, not turning on the TV when you go in the room, not turning on the stereo when you get in your car and you sit there and you say, this is a chance for me to, to pray in tongues or to sing a song unto the Lord because he's hungry for spirit to spirit connection. That's the value of speaking in tongues. And we'll talk about this next Saturday when we gather together. It's, it's our spirit praying by the Holy Spirit directly to God's spirit. No wonder Isaiah, when he was describing that experience, he said there's a rest and there's a refreshing in doing this. There is a refreshing when your spirit is in contact directly with God's spirit. It's the wisdom of God. He's created it, and it bypasses your head. It bypasses your emotions. It bypasses your flesh. And you're praying things that your head would never have prayed. I think it's a powerful thing when you just start your day speaking in tongues and and then you spend time actually as a personal worshiper not on Sunday only, but every day you say, you say, Lord, I owe you a song. I haven't, I haven't expressed my gratitude enough. And you, you release a song to him, even something you've just made up on the moment, and you just sing your song to him. He loves that. He comes down through that. And then you spend time exposing your heart to the word of God, and you say, Lord, speak to me. Your spirit, man, will get stronger and stronger. Your flesh will get weaker and weaker or less assertive, because someone has sent him a message that he's not the one in charge of your life. Only you can decide this. Only you can make this happen. But you are a three-part being, and you, you need to discern yourself. I read a, a verse in uh, in Proverbs that says, it's wisdom for a man to understand himself. You have to figure you out. If you can figure out what makes you tick, what makes you angry, what makes you respond, what makes you react, if you can understand you, you can help a lot of people because you're pretty normal, you're pretty basic. If you can understand how you are, how you are spiritually, what your flesh is like, you can help a lot of people. I found this verse recently. I thought I'd read it tonight. It looks interesting. Proverbs 20, verse 27 It says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, the spirit of God knows the heart of God in the same way that the spirit of man knows knows the heart of man. Part who knows you is your spirit. And and here he says, the spirit is actually used by God. It becomes like a flashlight or a lamp that searches the innermost parts of your being. No one understands you like your spirit. We need to listen to him. We need to tap into that. We need to begin to cultivate uh, an awareness of what he's saying and what he's wanting. The Living Bible says a man's conscience. So instead of calling it the spirit of man, he's calling it conscience. The conscience of, a man's conscience is the Lord's searchlight, exposing, exp, uh, exposing his hidden motives. I think that's part of this the process of discerning ourselves, stepping back and saying, okay, what's my motive here? Where is it coming from? Is it coming out of some selfish part of me? Is it coming out of a spiritual part of me? Is it coming out of a soulish part of me that wants to be comfortable and safe and stimulated and and only you can be able to discern you. But it's your spirit that's gonna be used by God to help you to understand which part of you is doing what it's doing. When I was a when I was a boy, I, I grew up in a in a rough neighborhood. Uh and all the all these brothers, and we had people living living with us, and yeah, their five brothers and my sister and, and plus the neighborhood gang, the neighborhood kids that we grew up with, and when you're with older boys, they would want you to do things that uh, were wrong, and there was always trying to figure out something something that we could do that to create a laugh. Uh, have some fun do some things we did some awful things but the older boys were able to do things and and i had an experience with the lord when i was about 5 years old that gave me a, a very extra sensitive conscience my conscience bothered me very easily if i if i was even thinking about a lie I, my my body would quake and my brothers would want to steal and they'd in the gang in the neighborhood they'd want to you know put on their rubber boots their big big winter rubber boots and go down to the store and stuff things in their rubber boots. I mean, every storekeeper should have known, any group of kids coming in here in the summertime with rubber boots on, you know they're going to steal stuff. Well, they would do that, and I'd get my rubber boots on, but I, I would end up hiding behind a tree. I felt like such a coward. I couldn't steal. My little conscience would just quake. My body would just shake. And they would do things. They, you know, They're building these apartment buildings around our neighborhood, and And uh, they'd go searching from floor to floor, collecting pop bottles that the construction workers had left. And and then they'd find a wheelbarrow and they'd fill it up with bricks and they'd push it down the elevator shaft to see what it sounded like when it hit the bottom. And and I loved hearing those stories and I wanted to have the courage to do it, but my little conscience would just tremble so badly that... I felt like a coward, and so something happened inside of me. I wanted to inside, I wanted to be part of that, so I'd actually violate my own conscience and and force myself to do things that I shouldn't have done. And uh, they like to steal, and they like to lie, and they like to do all kinds of mischief in the neighborhood, all kinds of tricks on the neighbors, and they're always thinking of inventing things to do. But my conscience gradually gave in, and I... I yielded and I, I, let, I let that win over, that influence win over my life. And the, my conscience, which was so razor sharp, almost like a, a fire alarm or a smoke detector in my heart, began to wane. At first, it was eh, really loud, really intense. And then after I would lie and do the things that they wanted to do and steal, it got less and less, and, you know, eh, and I'd do something, and. Eh, do something again, and finally it was no warning. wasn't working inside of me. I got to a place where I could just steal anything, and I could tell bold-faced lies to anybody. And it wouldn't bother me until if I got camping, I'd get out in the woods by myself, and all of a sudden my conscience would start coming around, and I'd become aware. And the only way I could do it was play my music as loud as I could play it and try to keep busy and try to keep active, kind of keep that voice, that conscience from bothering me. And then 1978, I had an experience that changed everything. I'd always knew that Jesus was real, but I found out that he's still in the earth, walking among us, talking, touching, healing, just the same way he did along the Sea of Galilee. He's doing exactly the same thing today, that Jesus is just as real as I am, Standing here, except I couldn't, I can't see him. But he's just as real. He's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and he'll always be that way. When I found that out, I surrendered my heart to him. And he he cleansed my conscience of all the things that had always bothered me, all the people I'd hurt, the people I'd lied to, the people I'd stepped on to try to get to some level of success, the people I exploited, the things I stole, all that stuff. All of a sudden, his blood washed it away, cleansed me of all those things. But also, and I wasn't expecting this. I wanted all my sins to be dealt with. But what I didn't expect is I got a new conscience. My conscience the the trembling part of me i wanted that even if i thought of doing something wrong my conscience would tremble uh, so i couldn't steal anything i couldn't i couldn't lie i'd have to go back and say i'd have to go back and say what i said wasn't exactly accurate it wasn't tuesday it was wednesday because my conscience was working again for the first time in years that conscience is a valuable valuable tool in my life Cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Made alive again by the blood of Jesus. This past summer, I happened to read a book of a guy I knew about. I'd heard about him. A guy named George Mueller. He's a uh, German man living in England. And he loved children. And and there's all these children living on the streets. And and he had no means. He had no money. But he would believed God... And he'd collect these children and, and believe God for a building. And get a building and fix it up and believe God for food on the table every day. And, and next thing you know, he's got thousands of, of orphans and orphanages all over the place. And he's believing God. He has no natural means of support. He's trusting God for finances. And people are giving him money because they know that he's an honest, trustworthy man. And I'm reading this story because I always wondered about George Mueller and who he was. But the part I didn't know, he starts off his testimony by saying, I was a thief. I was a liar. You couldn't trust me with anything. He was a constant thief. Always, from the time that he was a kid, he'd always be stealing. But God did such a work in in his heart, in his conscience, in his spirit, that he couldn't steal anything. And he couldn't lie for anything. And he became one of the most trustworthy, honorable Someone you could hold up as an example of integrity. And people are telling his stories and people have written books about George Mueller all over the world. Held up as an example of someone with sterling integrity. Isn't it amazing what the blood of Jesus can do? It can transform someone like that. What about you? What about you? Can you work to a place and come to a place and understanding where your spirit is driving? Your spirit is the, taking the ascent? Your spirit is in charge of your life? It has the final say. It has the final say. So it says, I'm in charge here. I say no to you. I'm not going to give in to my feelings. I'm not going to give in to my emotions. I'm not going to give in to what just my soulish pleasure wants. Somebody has to be in charge of you. Someone has to be in charge of you for your marriage sake, for your children's sake. And you see it in these little guys where they have flesh. Little guys, little guys with man-sized carnal natures wanting their way, wanting to do what they want to do, and their emotions. And we have to work with our kids to show them you can't let your emotions run your life, and you can't live for pleasure, and you can't live for comfort, and you, can't, you have to work really young to begin to get them to say. And it's funny what children will say. They're spiritually aware. They're spiritually in tune, and they say some of the most profound things because their spirit is somehow open to God's spirit. One time some people went to see someone off at an airport. The crowd was there, the family was there, and the plane was about to lift off. And one little kid says, well, don't they know they're going to crash? And next thing you know, the plane went down. And they looked at this kid, and it's not prophetic. It's not the spirit of God speaking per se. What it is is their spirit is, is is awakened and attuned to God's spirit. And there's something in our spirit where we can know things. And he just said, don't they know they're going to crash? And they did. I think we can accentuate that part of their lives by reading to them and, and and telling them Bible stories and making it come alive that it's not boring. Leading them into worship, getting them to be little singers. There's no reason why they can't get lost in the spirit. There's no reason why they can't be clothed with the glory of God. It's it's. For me, I, I I see it sometimes, and it, it's a it's a deep concern when I see kids who are just totally locked onto their media and locked onto the games and locked onto to a stimulation of their soul that's so so strong that they can't have a spiritual experience because it's been so stimulated beyond beyond normal. Be careful of that, parents. Be careful about that. You are a three part being. You are made in the image of God. the things you love now at a soulish level light color warmth you're going to love heaven you're going to love the fellowship of heaven you're going to love the food of heaven you're going to love the houses of heaven you're going to love the friendships that continue that continue over the memories that will continue over that part of you goes with your spirit and it goes with you to heaven and you get to enjoy that and i want you to enjoy that i don't want to i don't want to be critical of your soul except it can't be the one that drives your life you can't be a soulish Christian. It's not enough. It'll never satisfy. As good as it is, it'll never satisfy. Amen? Let's stand together. What kind of Christian do you want to be? Let's pray this way. Father, I see in the Bible where you'd come down in the cool of the day to meet with Adam because there was no one on your level that you can really talk with and walk with. The angels didn't provide that for you. Animals didn't provide that for you. Nature didn't provide that for you. So you created man because you are hungry for fellowship. Lord, I want to be that man. I want to be be like Adam. Come. Come each day. Come. Knock at the door of my heart. I want to have fellowship with you. Lord, I've given in to the lesser parts of me so many times, letting them drive my heart, my life. I've done that before. But, Lord, help help me to pull out. Help me to pull ahead. Help me to break rank with all of that and become a spiritual person at a level that I'm I'm not used to. Help me. Show me how to cultivate that side of me. Show me how to feed that side of me. Help me to discern myself. Help me to understand myself. Teach me, Father, and I'll teach others Help me, and I'll help others. Inspire me, and I'll inspire others, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.